You know, God knows all about bondage, but he also knows about freedom. And in Jesus Christ, we can be set free. But you know what? That's because of the grace of God. And today I want to speak to you just for a few minutes on standing firm in the true grace of God. I know it's easy to come to the end of a letter or a paragraph or even an email and think that the writer is, uh, is done saying whatever they're going to say and you just kind of skim over the last sentence or two and not even pay attention to what the last sentence is. But you know, if you do that, that's a mistake because sometimes there is a word of truth in the last sentence. I heard about a, a guy who was just head over heels in love with his girlfriend and and he wrote her love letters all the time, and she wrote love letters back to him. Do, you, do any of y'all remember those days? <laughs> Vaguely, all right? We need to bring back the love letter thing, all right? Anyway, so this guy's writing his girlfriend a love letter, and this is what he says, Dear Jennifer, this is just oozing with love. He says, I love you so much. I would climb the highest mountain. I would swim the deepest ocean. I would cross the burning desert just to be with you. I can't wait to be with you on Saturday. P.S. That is if it's not raining. <laughs> what a chump, huh? What a chump. The last sentence is really important. Uh, there was a district manager who wrote this to one employee. Dear Donald, seldom have we had such an employee of quality and consistency as you. Your productivity is hard to beat. As a team player, you're an example to everyone. At year end, we just want to acknowledge the fine job that you've done. And I'm sure Donald, man, he's jacked right now. Amen. Right? He's thinking, man, this is so awesome. But then the last sentence, sincerely, the district manager, P.S., sorry to inform you, you've been terminated. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So let me tell you, bottom line is you need to pay close attention to the end of a letter or an email or the last sentence. And, and the same thing is true in God's Word. Peter has been writing this letter, the book of 1 Peter, and he gets to the very end. He's, he's making acknowledgments here and, and thanking people. And we think, oh, he's done saying what he's going to say. That would be the wrong thing to assume. Because at the end of this letter, Peter has something really important to talk about. He refers back to what he's discussed through the entirety of the letter. And that can be summed up in one word. And the word is grace. Man, I love that word, don't you? Say it with me out loud. One, two, three. Grace. Say it like you mean it. One, two, three. Grace. grace. And this is not just any grace that Peter is writing about. He is writing about the true grace of God. Look at verse 12, chapter 5 of 1 Peter. I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. So when Peter says this is the true grace of God, literally what he's doing is going all the way back to the beginning of this letter. Everything that he has talked about in this letter of 1 Peter is summed up in this little phrase, the true grace of God. And what has Peter sought to do with this true grace of God? Look at verse 12 again. I have written to you briefly, encouraging you, 
and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. And you know what? I would agree wholeheartedly with Peter. There are times when we need someone to come along beside us and encourage us in the true grace of God. Some of you need that encouragement today in the true grace of God. And at other times, we need someone to come alongside of us and testify to us about the grace of God. And so that's what Peter has been doing throughout this entire letter. I think it'd be good right now to do a quick timeout and give you a, a definition, at least a working definition of God's grace that we're talking about, this true grace of God. I, I've been studying the Bible all my life, and, and I've known about grace since I was six years old. And I've read dozens of definitions about what God's grace is. But for today, we're going to use this definition. Grace is the powerful, undeserved activity of God in our lives. And I could, you know, I could spend all morning just talking about that definition. It is powerful. God's grace is powerful. It's powerful enough to change our lives and to transform us. God's grace is the powerful, undeserved activity of God in our lives. Nothing that happens to us as followers of Jesus Christ happens apart from God's grace. Can I get an amen for that? And if anyone who was a follower of Jesus knew about God's grace, I'm here to tell you it was Peter. Peter knew about the grace of God. It had been issued to him numerous times. In fact, as I go back and read the Gospels and the accounts of Peter's encounters with Jesus and all the problems that Peter brought upon himself, I'm here to tell you God's grace was smeared all over Peter. And so for a little bit of help this morning, I've recruited some friends. Uh, these are the skit guys. Uh, I don't know if you watch their, their YouTube video. And some of you are getting pumped. The, the skit guys are really here. Well, it's a video of them, all right? Uh, they've been at our National Association of Free Will Baptists. I love these guys, and I love this little skit between Jesus and Peter. Let's watch it together. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive, I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman, I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. <laughs> this is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat, come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. And, then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it. All right. Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. 
I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there and I'm looking in that tomb and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, no it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable no, for what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. Wasn't that great? Wasn't that great? Really, for this message, all you need is that three-minute and 38-second video, not, not, not my 30-minute message. But isn't that what grace is? To take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. And church, that's what Jesus did on Calvary's cross, and Peter knew all about God's grace. That's why Peter said, I've written this letter to you to encourage you and to testify to you that this is the true grace of God. This is the grace of God, church. It's the grace of God. God is the source of this grace. In fact, Peter had just said in chapter 5, verse 5, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Note that he gives grace. You can't earn grace. You can't buy grace. You can't be good enough to get grace. Grace, by its very nature, is not deserved. Back in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, Peter calls God the God of all grace. So this morning, just for a couple of minutes, let's go back to the very first... Uh, of Peter's letter in 1 Peter chapter 1 and reflect on what Peter has taught us about God's grace. Three things about God's grace. Number one, God's grace is saving grace. Go all the way back to chapter 1 verse 2. Peter talks about grace and peace be yours in abundance. That's what he said. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. How in the world can grace and peace be ours, especially in abundance. 
I mean, how can we have an abundance of grace and peace? Well, Peter goes on to tell us in verse 3. He talks about God's great mercy. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Woo! That's something to shout about and to praise God about. This new birth, this hope that we have because Jesus rose from the dead. So abundant grace and peace are found in this new birth that has been given to us through God's great mercy. He goes on to talk about this salvation in verse 10 of chapter 1. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched diligently or intently, and they did it with the greatest of care. So church, listen to this. Salvation was the grace of God that came to us. Salvation is God's grace given to us. It is the powerful, undeserved activity of God on our behalf. One of my favorite presidents was uh, George W. Bush. Uh, a lot of reasons I, I really like him, but probably the main reason is he, he, was, he grew up in the same town I grew up in, Midland, Texas. Of course, he's a little bit older than me, but here's the story, and you know, I've, got, I've got to accept it because it's told by everyone in my mother's family. Uh, George W. Bush grew up just right down the street from my mother's aunt, and when my mother was a little girl, she would go over to my aunt's house, and they would play on this street together. You remember the name of the street? Ohio Street, Midland, Texas. Her and George W., little kids. Played on the street together. Y'all believe that? Listen, my mama says it's the truth, all right? So it's got to be the truth. Well, he grew up and became a president. Of course, you know that. And then later in life, George W. wrote a book entitled Decision Points. And in it, he recalls how his father had invited the great evangelist, Dr. Billy Graham, to come to their family retreat in Maine. Billy Graham made this great impression on George W. Bush. In fact, in his book, he said, I was captivated by Billy Graham. He had a powerful presence, full of kindness and grace, and he had a keen mind. He said, the next day that we were there, Billy asked me to go for a walk around the property, and he asked me about my life in Texas. In his gentle, loving way, Billy Graham began to deepen my shallow understanding of faith. Bush goes on to describe what happened next. He said, the center of Christianity is not self, it's the Savior. Billy explained to me that we are all sinners and that we cannot earn God's love through any good deeds that we might do. He made it clear that the path to salvation is through the grace of God alone. And the way to find that grace is to embrace Jesus Christ as risen Lord, the Son of a God so powerful and loving that He gave His only Son to conquer death and to defeat sin. <laughs> i got to say amen to that. That is some good preaching. President Bush goes on to explain how God used that event 
to radically alter the course of his life. But church, isn't that just like grace? Grace is that powerful, undeserved activity of God on our part where he transforms and changes us. This grace of God is seen also in chapter 2, verse 24. Peter wrote and said, He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sin on his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live under righteousness. By his wounds, that is, the wounds of Jesus, the stripes of Jesus, we have been healed. And church, i got to say, this is grace. Amen? This is grace. We are filthy and dirty in our own sins, but we are made new by God's mercy and grace through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then Peter says this in chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ died for the sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. In the grace of God, we find the solution to our greatest and gravest problem, that is the sin problem. Here's the bottom line. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. We were born sinners. By nature and by choice, we are sinners. And we can do absolutely nothing to take this sin problem away on our own. But here is something unique to Christianity. You don't find this truth in Buddhism, in Islam, or in any of the occults. All of those religions are a self-works righteousness salvation-based religion. They're answering or asking the question, how can I get right with God? And their answer is, well, I do as many good works as I possibly can throughout my life. And hopefully, at the end of the life, my credit column is greater than my debit column. That I've done more good than bad. That's the way most people think and live. No wonder so many people live their lives in this cloud of uncertainty that is hanging over them because they're always wondering, have I done enough? But you know what? For a follower of Jesus, for, for a born-again believer of Jesus Christ, they don't have to live that way because here's what we say, I could never do enough. <laughs> and I couldn't. I could never be good enough or do enough, or give enough. But you know what? That's okay. It's okay that I can't. Because Jesus did enough. When he died on Calvary's cross and rose again, and when I put my faith and my trust in him, immediately God sees me as righteous in Jesus Christ. And that is what grace is. It is the powerful, undeserved activity of God in my life. We find this truth in, in the words of, of one of the great church hymns of faith, Amazing Grace. Listen to the first verse of this song. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear 
the hour I first believed. And if you don't know this grace, you need to find it today. It's God's saving grace. It'll totally change your life. Give you a completely different perspective. And the benefit is your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And when you die, you get to go to heaven. That's God's saving grace. Peter goes on to talk about, number two, the serving grace of God. You see, when God saves us, he calls us to a life of service to others. But we don't serve God in our own strength or power. And here's what I want you to hear. Christian service is the grace that God pours into our lives, and then that grace overflows out of our lives, and it gets on other people. And that's how we serve other people, by serving God through the spiritual gifts that he's given to us. Peter talks about this in chapter 4, verse 10. He says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So church, here again is this powerful, undeserved gift of God working in and through our lives. And let me show you how how it works. It works like this. God's given every one of us as a believer a spiritual gift. When you got saved, you got this gift, all right? And you are to use your gift within the body of Christ to serve others. And as you do that, as you serve others by serving God, this grace that God is pouring into your life, giving you the ability to do your spiritual gift, it just overflows through you and gets on somebody else. That's what it's all about. A month ago, I was in an international board missions meeting in Nashville, Tennessee, and these these board meetings are, are long. They can last for days and I mean, it's hour after hour of hearing reports and, and dealing with issues. And, and you just got to sit there and, and kind of endure. And y'all know me. I'm good for like 30 minutes sitting still. <laughs> and then I need to get up and do something. And so I'm always, you know, I'm just always struggling to stay engaged in and, and my mind with what's going on. And, and it had been a long day and it's coming to the end of the day. And one of the other international board member uh, members is a pastor and he was sitting across the table from me down a little bit and I don't know I don't know why God had him share this but just in the middle of this meeting he kind of stopped the meeting and and shared something that God was doing in his life and in his ministry he, he was sharing the grace of God and as he shared with us he didn't know it But that grace of God was just flowing out of his life. It got all over that table, and it went over there, and it leaked right on top of me. And tears started rolling down my eyes, man. I mean, I was literally, I was bawling like a baby. And I know those other board members and and those on the international mission staff thought I was crazy over there, but I was just bawling. But you know why? It's because this pastor was doing what God told him to do, and that is speak a word of truth. And that grace came out of his life, and it got all over me. Church, that's that's what's supposed to happen in the family of faith. And I pray to God every time I preach to you, there's a little bit of God's grace just flowing from what I'm saying, and it's getting on you. 
It, it happens to me every time I am where you are. Wednesday night, Callie was speaking and sharing with us what God is doing in her life. And, uh, and she shared from God's word. And as she was sharing from God's word, that, that grace just kind of flowed right down through here. And Callie, it just went right there. And it climbed all up on top of me. And, and Angie, Angie hears this all the time when I'm sitting beside her. I get choked up. I do when I'm hearing a truth from God. When God is speaking through someone else into my life, I mean, I, I get emotional. You can call me whatever you want to call me. I don't care because I'm getting grace on me, okay? Grace is overflowing in my life. And, and as Callie spoke, that grace got on me, and I got choked up, and I, I praised the Lord because of it because that's how God works in his church, God moves in the church as we serve God with our spiritual gifts that he's given to us. God's grace in its rich multicolors flows into our life. And here's my warning, church. When you don't serve God by using your spiritual gift in the family of faith, not only are you hurting yourself, you are holding back a blessing that belongs to someone else. Does that make sense? If you're not doing what God created you to do, if you're not here participating, using your spiritual gifts, some people in our church are not being blessed like God wants to bless them. And you, maybe you don't have any earthly idea who they are. God coordinates all of this. And God is using you to bless them, but you've got to be willing to serve and I'm here to tell you, it's hard to serve on your own. You can't, you can't do it without God's grace, God's serving grace. And then finally, number three, Peter talks about another form of grace in his letter here. It's the sustaining grace of God. And we come back to where we started, chapter 5, verse 12. He said, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. So what he's talking about here is how the grace of God sustains us. Do you know about that grace? The sustaining grace of God? When the storms of life blow on you and your family? The Nichols know a little bit about this, don't you? Because the storm blew in. Last week, and, and Eli spent a week in the hospital. You know what? It was the grace of God that got you through that, Eli. Got your family through that. We experience this sustaining grace of God when sickness befalls us, when death comes into our family. Angie and I were talking just this past week, and, and we were reflecting on that, that age-old question, how in the world do people who don't have a church home make it? I mean, really, how can you make it through the difficulties of life without a family of faith that comes alongside of you and gives you uh, courage to face days of difficulty. God's grace will sustain you. And there are many in this congregation who can attest to that. You know firsthand. Amen? In fact, let me see a hand of somebody who knows about the sustaining grace of God. Yeah, all of us do if we've been a believer in Jesus. And here's another thing about that. When the devil comes to tempt you, God's sustaining grace will help you stand against the temptation of the evil one. Now, why in the world would I bring this up? 
It's because Peter had just talked about it. Chapter 5, verse 8, listen. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, we, we hear all the time in the news of people being stalked. You know, there's a stalker. Someone is stalking them. I asked people in the first service, how many of you have ever been stalked? And I don't, some, some raised their hand, you know. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if, if that's ever happened to you, it's a scary thing to be stalked. See, about 30, 36 years ago, Angie was stalking me. That, yeah, that just came to me, man. Wasn't that be, That was beautiful. Other way around, other way around. Listen, to, I got your attention back, though, because I was losing you. Here, here's the deal. If you are a believer, you're being stalked right now. In fact, every single day, you are being stalked by the devil. He's after you. He's preying on you. If you're a believer, he doesn't own you anymore. But I tell you what, he wants to cause you to stumble and so daily he's trying to snare you and tempt you so that you fall to his temptation and into sin. The only way to avoid that is through the sustaining grace of God. I've already talked about Billy Graham. Can I talk about Billy Graham again? We just lost one of the greatest men of God in our generation. And Jason, I wonder who's going who's gonna to fill those shoes, man? Who is going to stand like Billy Graham did and preach to thousands and millions of people the grace of God? Well, years ago, Larry King had Billy Graham on his program. It was right after the time of the immoral acts uh, between Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. Mr. King was talking about American leaders, those publicly who are in the limelight, yielding to times of immorality. And so directly, Larry King, as he you know, would do, asked Dr. Graham how he had escaped being caught in a scandal like this, as many in the limelight had fallen into. And here's what Dr. Graham said. I have been tempted just like all others, but there is in my life the sustaining grace of God. And then he said, God will not allow a temptation to come that he does not provide a way of escape. I'm thinking, hallelujah, man. I thank God for that way of escape, don't you? The devil is going to tempt you, but friend, listen to me. You do not have to sin. You do not have to fall into that temptation because with every temptation, God has promised a way, the way of escape. That means that at times, you might have to change the channel on your TV. It might mean that you have to turn your head and look at something else. It may mean that you have to change friends Sometimes it may mean that you just need a fast set of feet so that you can run away from the temptation. But the sustaining grace of God will provide a way of escape. Church, can I tell you something? The grace of God is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. 
And we all need that grace in our life. That powerful, unmerited favor of God. Today you need a little bit of that grace smeared on your life. You need God's grace. Cool thing is, He supplies it. He's here today forgiving what you think is unforgivable and extending to you what you need the most, grace.